Oh, hello, Graham Norton here. It was another fun Saturday we had here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. So let's take a look at what we've got in store for you today. Former Judge Rob Rinder tells tales from his brand new crime novel, The Trial. Show chef Martha Collison hits the road once more for her summer tour. She's in Ickenham this weekend, making some barbecue treats for one lucky family. And as always, Maria McCurlin's rusting through your letters, so she's ready to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Let's get cracking. I was a bit slow singing there, Graham. Sorry. <laughs> no, a bit slow off the mark. The piano lid was down. Um, how are you? <laughs> I'm all good, thank you very much. Although, I have to say, last Sunday, Graham, I was swanning around on the beach at a beach party in my, you know, swimming costume and it was boiling hot. Today, jumper. What's going on, 1st of July? Thank you very much. Your summer, not autumn. It is. So it, this is the... Oh, is the year more than half over? No, it's just half over. Is that it? Are we halfway through? Mm, well, yeah, no, it's it's half over, though. You're right. We've done six months already. Both of us kind of confused by that. <laughs> Months, year, what are you talking about? <laughs> Carol Vorderman <laughs> shouting at the radio. <laughs> six plus six is 12. <laughs> she does a lot of shouting at the radio on Twitter these days. Oh, Carol, we like her. Oh, so I'm not, I'm not on the Twitter anymore. Ah, yes, it, I came off I the Twitter. I don't miss it at all. Oh, I thought, I thought, because most people who leave Twitter uh, end up back going back on it. They kind of crawl back on in the middle of the night. And uh, not, no, I haven't. I'm sort of, I'm I'm delighted that I don't miss it at all. I, it's and so nice. And you've got nice. all that time back as well that you spend scrolling, reading rubbish. Yeah, and also you don't hear all the shouty people. And da, da. It's like it's like shutting a window and realising, oh, actually the, <laughs> the roadworks aren't nearly as loud as I thought. <laughs> That's a very good analogy. Very good analogy. Shouting. Why don't you believe me? Why won't you accept my opinion? It's all that, isn't it? Oh, oh, oh it's exhausting. Absolutely um, exhausting. What did I, I think I just heard that the swimwear competition, uh, swimwear round, has been scrapped in the Miss Great Miss UK, Miss, Miss World, what what was it? Were you listening to the news? <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> Emphasis on the miss. Uh, <laughs> I miss the item. <laughs> um, it's, no, it's, they've, they, they've got rid of the swimmer round and I think they're doing it naked now. I think that's what I heard. I think <laughs> no, that's what Tom no, was No, I saying. was rather pleased that they got rid of the swimwear round because I thought I might enter, Graham, in, you know, Victorian dress, maybe sort of, you know, like the, the, when they went into bathing huts to put on big bloomers. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm told, I'm told in my ear, it's Miss England. Miss England. Miss England. Okay, so we're not Miss... Miss GB anymore, where Miss England... That oh, no, I'm sure there Miss is a... There'll be, there'll be a Miss something else because, you know, there'll be a Miss Scotland and Miss Wales and then they'll all come together oh, yes. and there'll be a battle yes. of the Misses and then um, there'll be a, a, a Queen of all Misses and uh, she'll do very well. And yes. then she'll, she'll I seem to remember universe. one of the Miss Worlds was disqualified some time ago for um, being married or having a baby or something archaic like that. Yes. Well, not, <laughs> so no we've come a, a long miss. way or have we? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I watched that. Or you, I think you said told me to watch the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. Did you? Oh yes, I did. What did you think? I mean, it was good. I liked all the all those uh, bodybuilding. That's what reminded me of it was all those titles: the Mister Universe, the Mister Globe, yes. the, yes. the Mister Bus Stop, the Mister Whatever. It was <laughs> Mister <laughs> Big he, Muscles. Yeah, he won them all. 
It is amazing the work that goes into that. I mean, the, a good reason to watch the Schwarzenegger thing is because of all the historical clips, which actually are fascinating. And the way they kind of looked so... It's its weird, isn't it? It's wrong and misshapen, but people yeah. want to do it. So what and are you going to do? And also, the guy that... Isn't it, I, what I find funny is the guy of that fleeting nature of fame, that the guy that Arnold Schwarzenegger desperately wanted to be, he was British, and he was a movie star, he was in, I think, Ben-Hur or something, and... I'd never heard of him. Reg something Me or Re- Rom Me something. Yeah. And then he met him and he was his idol, uh, yada yada, wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yes. The whole thing had a lot of overtones, undertones, <laughs> a lot of tones. <laughs> is that is that the sum total of your week that you've watched Arnold Schwarzenegger? Or I haven't, even, have I haven't, even, I haven't even finished it. <laughs> I've only seen part one and part two. I'm yet to. I'm yet to enjoy him being a politician. That, that's the third yes, part. Yes. yes, that didn't really pan out that well. I'll just tell you that, but you probably know that already. He wasn't great as the governor of California um, and didn't get to... Well, he couldn't be president. I think he wanted to be president, but you can't be president in America unless you're born in America. And apparently that's the only qualification. <laughs> <laughs> so it would seem. <laughs> you, you can be mad and insane, but you can still be president. Were you born here? <laughs> then in you go. Have a lovely time. Uh, now, I, 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 I don't mind asking. Were you listening to the show earlier? The answer is no, isn't it? I was. Of oh, course, I was. Yes. Well, did and you I hear... heard you say, "No, I heard you say somebody rang in with praise, and I love you, and I love Maria, and blah blah blah." And I thought, <laughs> "No, finish the praise, please. I am listening. I'm waiting." No, I was so weird when presenters read out lovely things about themselves. So I, I was just skimming over all the nice things at the end of the text. Well, you uh, could have just said the nice thing about me. That would have uh, been good. For yes, me. she loves you, and she's going <laughs> to love you. Do reading out your letters in just a moment moment. Uh, but right now we dedicate this next song to Bunty and Cheadle and her daughter Polly and her friend Michelle because did you hear their, their terrible I did, they were away somewhere very exotic. They were in New York and they got a table to have breakfast at Tiffany's 10am booking and at 9.45 Tiffany's burnt down. Uh, in all What? Of, yeah, t- Tiffany's on Fifth Avenue it didn't burn down but it, it burnt enough no. to shut. Yes. So, yes, poor them. Smoke poor Bunty. I know. She'll knit something about it. Oh, oh yes. Oh, orange wool. Orange wool is being purchased as <laughs> Fiery flames. You see, I was listening, and I do know who Bunty and Cheadle is because she knitted us lovely tea cozies in our own likeness. I know. So handy. Anyway. Virgin Radio. Right, problem number one. Quite a long one, quite sad. Here we are. Dear Graham and Maria, my dad is 78 and is not a nice person to be around. His way is the only way. He has no time for anyone who is different to him. He's always been very emotionally absent and wasn't a good father to me or my brother. It was our mum who held it all together and even she didn't really like him most of the time. Our relationship has never been easy and he never got on with my brother, who I tragically lost two years ago. My mum died aged just 73 this January, so all he has now is me. He has no family left and no friends to speak of. He spends his days with his beloved dog visiting mum's grave and watching reruns of old shows from when, and I quote, Britain was good. He's always been casually racist, but since mum died, he seems to have gone into overdrive and has a particular hatred for anyone who's not like him. 
I cannot abide it or understand it. And I pick him up every time he comes out with this vitriol. But it's got to the point that I dread going to see him or even phoning him. It doesn't matter what I say and his small-minded views will not change. He spouts them so casually and expects everyone else to have the same views. Also, as he refuses to go out to eat with anyone, not even to his local for a pint or to come to our house, he's really isolated and I su suspect very lonely. He wouldn't even consider going to a club or social event. He has no social skills and doesn't know how to engage with people. There's absolutely no point in trying to talk to him. He doesn't listen. In short, I don't like him and I don't enjoy his company. But I feel duty-bound to make sure he's OK because I'm all he has. And I hate the thought of anyone being sad and alone. I'm already dreading Christmas. This is the first one without Mum. How do I cope with this? And that is from Bev in Redditch. Bev in Redditch, this has touched me and I'm sure, sadly, it will resonate with a lot of Virgin Radio listeners because I think, you know, understandably, Bev in Redditch, your father, whilst he's never been particularly emotional, etc., always been a misery, so on, your mum kept him in check. He is depressed. He is depressed and sad and lonely. He lost his wife this January, your brother died two years ago. He's unable to express any of this other than in fury. I think what you're hearing from him always is this sort of fury and anger at the world, uh, that it's not how he wants it to be and it hasn't treated him well and he hasn't responded to it well and he's just withdrawn into a shell of his own misery and racist views and moaning. I mean, all I can say to you, Bev in Redditch, did I say it was from Bev in Redditch, is you have to sit him down and, and just say, Dad... All I can say to you is every time I come round, it makes me feel so sad and a bit depressed because there is no joy in your life. And I want you to have joy. Yes, I know you're 78 and life has been tough, but there is still joy to be found in every day. And let's go out on a walk. I'll come with you to mum's grave and we'll find things that bring us joy. A flower, the sunrise, you know, something very pretty on the street, a gorgeous building. You you just got to try and get him out of this mindset. And he'll probably say, no, I don't want to do that. But you say, will you just do it for my sake, Dad? You're all I have now and you, I am all you have. And it would be so much nicer if we got along and had a laugh and maybe talk about the olden days and remember good things from the olden days and talk about it with him. I just... I feel he's depressed, maybe a visit to his doctor. He may be 78, but he's not too old to go and see someone and say, I can't get out of bed in the morning. All I do is go with my dog to visit my my wife's grave. It's a very sad letter, Bev, in Redditch. And I feel you should get some help. Maybe call Age UK and find out if they have any facilities that might you could go with him to. It's it's kind of one of those problems that I don't want you to say let him go because you don't want to. Even if it's duty, he is your dad. Graham, what do you think? Well, I agree. You don't want to let him go. But equally, I think, you know, what you're talking about, sitting down and talking to him, she's tried all that. He clearly won't listen to anything. He's just one of those, just one of those miserable, horrible old men. And I think, Bev, <clears throat> and this is easier said than done, you need to care less. You need to care. You need to, I, I'm not saying abandon him, but care less. When you talk to him, talk about your mother and the dog. 
Leave it at that. Don't sit and watch TV with him. Don't don't put yourself in situations where he's going to wind you up more. Um, because, you know, yes, he's sad and lonely. Whose fault is that? It is his. He has spent a lifetime making decisions that have ended up in this situation. He's driven people away. It's extraordinary, Bev, that you are still visiting him, that you do still phone him, and that you do still care, because he's done everything in his power to make that not happen. So mm. hats off to you, Bev, for sticking with this man. But, but the I thing do is, think- Graham, everyone is reachable. Everyone is reachable on some level. And I think if Bev, you know, if she sits down with him and cries with him even, and he sees her how unhappy she is, and how unhappy... He is making her and says, I miss mum too. I miss my brother. I'm sad too, but dad, life goes on. And it goes on much better if you try and find a positive way because you're just waiting at the moment for your death to come. You're, a, a, you know, it's a living death and you're making other people miserable with it. Can we not just find a way where we can rub along on a on a yeah. better note. I know she's tried uh, talking to him, Graham, yes, but, but I don't also, think one gives and, up. And also I feel like being vulnerable in front of this man is something you don't want to do. You know, are you, Well, are, I don't because, know about that. I think that might trigger him and make him think, oh, I'm, you know, she's all I've got and I'm making her really unhappy. She'll stop coming to see me. Maybe he wants you to stop coming to see him. I mean, we don't know, Beth, yeah. but I, I do think you need to get some help with it in a way and because you're shouldering all of this on top of your grief of your mother and your brother and trying to make his life better. And there may be some people at Age UK who have good suggestions and you know and at christmas don't have him at your house don't go and see him say we're going somewhere else we're going to a restaurant well he, and he, he won't do that he'll say no to that he won't do it dear responses part one and my favorite responder today will be getting a waitrose summer chocolate strawberries what da? i'll tell you now it's rich belgian chocolate mousse oh yes with crunchy biscuit balls and a juicy strawberry compote Hiding inside. Where's the compote? It's hiding. Uh, it's a way to summer chocolate strawberries. There you go. That's what you get. Lucy from Woking. I think Bev needs to remember that her dad has been a grown-up for longer than she has been alive. And as someone with a very difficult dad, I can say often I am the worst person to make him see sense. This is because in his mind, I will always be the child and him the adult, even though I am 40. Do what you can, but prioritise you and your well-being. I mean, that's the bottom line, is Bev needs to take care of Bev. Liam, I identified with Bev about losing her mom. My mom died suddenly in September, and I still don't feel I've grieved properly or completely. I would suggest Bev takes time to look after herself first and foremost. Getting frustrated with her dad won't change him and will only cause her more pain. I faced a similar challenge with my dad, but what we want for someone isn't necessarily what they want too. Wishing her all the best. And that's the thing, what she sees as sad and lonely, he seems quite content with, because if he was that sad and lonely, he'd, he'd change something, but he seems to enjoy the, the small life he's living. Patricia says, advice to, ad, oh, advice to contact a group called Re-Engage. Okay, that's Re-Engage, a charity group that hosts tea parties each month for a couple of hours on a Sunday. A driver will call to your house and take Dad to and from a host house where he can meet other people at similar stage of life. My husband and I host these parties occasionally. Great crack to be had by all. Hope there is an active group in his area. If not, start one. So rewarding. That is a good idea. 
idea, Patricia. Maybe he'll cope better hearing, kind of, you know, if old people don't like him as well, um, maybe he'll get the message. Uh, Sam from Bath says, I've been here and you need to protect yourself and set boundaries of what you are, aren't prepared to do. Try to make your dad aware of the implications of his actions, both positive and negative. If he continues with this behaviour, you absolutely need to put distance between you. You have a life and deserve to be valued and love your life and not feel the fear, obligation and guilt of being a daughter. Good luck. It's a journey, but please put yourself first. Uh, thank you for all of those. I'm going to give the away to some chocolate strawberries uh, to Sam from Bath. Graham's Guide. Excellent work. Here's the second problem. Dear Graham and Maria, my boyfriend and I are hoping to get married in the next few years and we're also saving up to buy a house. He's on a much higher salary than I am and while money has never caused us any problems in the past, it's really starting to cause me stress now. He's from a fairly wealthy family and, as I said, he has a lot of disposable income, which he can put towards savings. I'm from a lower class background and just don't have as much money to spend. I'm very happy with my job, but there's no denying that my salary can't afford the same luxuries as his. My savings are minimal and I'm scrimping as much as I can to give him the wedding he wants and make sure we can move into a house that we can make our own. But I'm finding making ends meet really, really hard. I'm so worried that money could create a division in our relationship as I know it does in so many couples and it's something I've been desperately avoiding since we got together. How can I tackle my money fears without pushing him away or seeming desperate? The last thing I want his charity and that is from Carl in Aberdeen. Carl in Aberdeen I'm very conflicted about this because you say I'm so worried that money could create a division in our relationship it already has mate there is a division in your relationship now I don't know I'm guessing that you're slightly older than your boyfriend and I'm guessing also that you have in this relationship taken on more of a maybe parenting role, not parenting, but parent role, so the grown-up role, shall we say. And so it's like I, I'm scrimping so I can give him the wedding he wants and make sure we can move into a house that we make our own. It's a, it's a collective, Carl, in Aberdeen. You are not responsible for this. You're, you're not earning as much money as him. And why are you doing all of this and scrimping? And why haven't you had the conversation with your boyfriend? It sounds a bit vague, Carl in Aberdeen. We're hoping to get married in the next few years. It sounds a little desperate that you're trying to put things in place to make him happy. And so, yes, you get married and, yes, you'll have a lovely house. Now, on your salary, this is not going to happen with your scrimping. You're resenting it already, I can tell. Uh, you have to have this conversation with him. You have to say, now, let's sit down and talk about the wedding and let's see how much... It sounds like he can put... You say he's on disposable income, which he can put towards savings. It sounds like he's not putting anything towards savings. He's still going out buying, you know, perfume, Tom Ford perfume and lovely lovely shoes and lovely clothes and all what all of that. He's spending. He's retail merchant and so on. Um, but so you have to have a conversation with him about let's make this a little firmer. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about what we want. Let's talk about the sort of house. It's all a bit out there in the distant future. And you're making yourself ill, Carl in Aberdeen. 
by not being able to afford any of this and feeling resentful towards him because he's not saving any money. You just have to, even if it means pushing him away or pinning him down, it may be that he doesn't want to do these things yet and he's just going, oh yeah, we'll do that for now. So, Carl in Aberdeen, you have to have the convo with him. Graham? Yes. No, he has to. I mean, it, it, it baffles me. You know when you get, we talked to those couples who kind of go, oh, and then it turned out that he didn't want kids or da-da-da, but they were yeah. already married. Why don't you, they talk? Why don't they talk? So, again, Carl, Robert Dean, one, have the conversation. Two, well, t- two things. One is, why hasn't your boyfriend noticed how stressed this is making you? The thing about money, uh, has he not noticed that you you know you sweat when you get your credit card out and he doesn't? So you'd think he'd have noticed that. And uh, but also even if he hasn't noticed it, then it's up to you to have a conversation because for him he has disposable income, so he's skipping through life going la 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 money money I don't care. You do care. It, this is a big issue to you. So you've got to raise it and you've got to make him understand that it is important to you. And then hopefully the two of you can come to sort of some sort of understanding where you're both contributing to a fund. Maybe he contributes a bit more to a fund uh, that is saving for... Uh, and I hope I hope you both want the things you think you want, Carl. Because yeah, I think Maria's really. right. There is a slight oddness in the letter where uh, this is your idea. <laughs> And he's kind of going, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. And Um, also I think, Graham, that Carl possibly is not showing his boyfriend the stress. I think Carl is is going, ha, ha, he, he, let's have a lovely time. He's not showing him the stress because he doesn't want the boyfriend to think, oh, he's a downer, always talking about money or I earn more than him, boo-hoo, what, you know. He he doesn't want to have show him any of that. He wants it to be an equal relationship. Well, it's not, Carl, at the moment. It's not. You're suffering from stress and you're not earning as much money as him and you need to make sure he wants the same things as you do because I think there are doubts that Graham said also creeping in. And also that thing about money, it is a very intimate thing. And and, but I, and, and it's very difficult to talk about, but you you must. Dad Responses, part two. And my favourite responder will be getting the Waitrose Summer Chocolate Berries. You know, the scrunchy biscuit balls and strawberry compote hiding inside. Let's go to your responses. Carl and his partner should work out what percentage of their total household income comes from whom? Agree a monthly budget, open a joint account, which they each deposit their given percentage into each month. While one will be contributing more, both partners will be contributing the same percentage of their income while preserving some money to save independently. That's from Harry and Peter in Cambridge. In brackets, it works for us. It does sound so practical. Uh, Karen in Hereford. Uh, Don't be so proud. Be honest in this relationship. The money shared needs to be proportionate to resources available. Remember the widow and the mites? Fairness, Karen in Hereford. No. (laughs) but I'm sure it's a lovely story. Uh, You're doing your best to share with what you can and you both need to feel comfortable with arrangements. Don't worry that the money is proportionate as long as your love is equal. Oh, is that sweet? Well done. Nicely said, Karen. I forgive you for the widow and the mites. Dan says, me and fiancé-to-be had to have a similar conversation as she earns more than I do. We worked out how much we need to save and decided the best way forward was rather than pay a set amount each, we paid a percentage each. Uh, That way, we're both contributing within our means. I then got a promotion a few months ago and uh, we were able to adjust the percentage, so I was paying a little more. Uh, Peter in uh, Chackham says, Unequal income must affect most couples. When I met my now wife, I earned far more than she did, but that did not matter because we were made for each other. I paid for many things and my wife supported the household in other ways. And once we started a family, we could not have asked for more. 
During our 35 years together, occasionally roles reverse when I lost my job. Marriage is a team event and need not be measured purely financially. Have a prenuptial for the amount... I like this. <laughs> All that. Oh, yeah, love that. Have a prenuptial uh, for the amount contributed to the house deposit, if you are that way inclined. But look at the bigger picture and do your best to make it work. Be open and say you are struggling. If he is unsympathetic, then you have had a lucky escape. Ooh, I'm torn who to give the Waitrose summer chocolate strawberries to. I'm going to give it to Harry and Peter because that was the most practical. You could lift it off the page and just do it advice. Thank you very much. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Can you believe that before 2014, none of us knew, well, most of us didn't know, uh, who my next guest was. But... 2014 changed all that with the arrival of Judge Rob Arinder. He has now become a broadcaster, a journalist, and now a novelist. He's got a brilliant twisty, turny legal thriller called The Trial, and he's going to tell us all about it. Please welcome Rob Rinder. Hello, Rob Rinder. Hi, Gremnon. How are you today? Happy Pride. What a lovely day. Oh, yes. Happy Pride to you. Yes. <laughs> oh, look at us on the radio. Uh, <laughs> So proud of ourselves. <laughs> so this this mm. book, it's such a no-brainer. You're such a great fit for a book like this. Uh, I suppose, the, why did it take so long for you to come up with this idea? Well, it's not that the idea took so long. It's just, um, as you know, um, from your novels, um, it's the writing, isn't it? I mean, I spent years doing legal submissions, and as soon as I sit down to to write it, the characters kind of die on the page and i find that at the end of it what i've got is um 10 pages of legal submissions or i tend to uh, you know, I've, I've kept the lovely screenshots from the editor in my first attempts and um there's things like why are your female characters you know emotionally one-dimensional and all perfect as i'm just writing about my friends you know um <laughs> so it takes a while and I, i'm you know i i love reading it's my happy place my escape it's the place i come to sort of experience that delicious sense of not being alone but i'm sitting to you now in the place where i write mostly and you know i'm in the shadow of kind of great writers and giants and people whose books and work i love and it just felt too intimidating to have a go at well, listen, I don't know how great a job your editor did, but it is great. It's so pacey. It's so pacey and engaging. And also it has this this kind of extra angle because we know you wrote it. So, so much of what happens in the chambers has that kind of the ring of truth because we know you were there. People who you worked with in chambers, uh, will many of them recognise themselves in this book? Well, I mean, I hope not because they'll sue me. So, um, you know, but I mean, I, I should tell you that they, it is authentic, as authentic as I could make it without me being the subject of any uh, meaningful lawsuit. But at the heart of it really is um, the story of Adam Green, who is this outsider, as I was, you know, coming into chambers. It doesn't matter whether you've been to a good university, you arrive in this place, which even now as a pupil barrister, you do this sort of year-long job audition. And at the end of that year, um, doing your pupil masters or mistresses, important work often in the highest profile case of the day, you're also doing your own work, representing clients at the same time. So you get that sort of world, a rumpole of the Bailey, behind the scenes of what goes on in this rarefied 
uh, experience that most people don't know about temple which is not far from where you're sitting now most people don't know it's there along with what it's like beyond the curtain uh, of the old bailey i wanted people to sort of have that experience at the same time of you know what it means at the end of it for all of your colleagues to vote on you and decide whether you get tenancy or not which again still happens today lifting the lid on that my inspiration if you like comes from um rumpel but also from if you remember the series this life Oh, yes. Um, right. Which for my generation, the late 90s, most of the barristers um, who ended up at the bar were really inspired by that. So it's not it's a job that has lots of social cachet, to be sure, but it's not very glamorous. Um, so at the heart of it is a kind of Agatha Christie-tastic. I say that because that's really reaching beyond my fingertips. Who done it? The murder weapon being Botox, element of humour as, as well. But also invites questions about you know, why is somebody inspired to become a barrister? What motivates them to be to have a thirst for, for justice? And the subplots learning a little bit about Adam's life through the relationship with his mum. And also uh, another story at the heart of it, which does relate to cases I used to do with how it is and why it is that certain people, if they've got money, are treated different in the justice system. But I hope at the end of the day, it's also a, a good whodunit. And I should tell you, lots of my colleagues, some of whom are now high court judges and stuff, have asked me, you know, rather have got to the end and said, God, I didn't guess that. Is it me? Am I the killer? And I just said to all of them, yes, it is you. <laughs> um, but one of the things reading the book you know, it, yeah. it, it you don't kind of sugarcoat it. You don't make it seem glamorous. I mean, it just seems incredibly hard work, and yet, and people jump through the hoops, and and it, it seems to be disappointment after disappointment. And in the book, you do seem to be saying something needs to change in this system. You know, particularly the way the pupil master, the, you know, his behaviour is kind of terrible. Yeah. I mean, it has. I want to be clear. I mean, to some extent, the book is a reflection of my experience and my colleagues. You know, some time ago, 20 years ago, thereabouts. But it's still the case nowadays that um, these incredible humans apply for sometimes 1,100 applicants, and we might take two a year. And they jump through the hoops only to find themselves as pupils. And um, exactly as you describe, it's a difficult, capricious, thankless world, often five or six cases, 100 hours a week. You know, you're doing it in circumstances where you know you're going to read papers and almost certainly not get paid. Um, but the people who get up every day to represent criminal defence or prosecute for the government do it because they have this unquenchable mission to do justice. And I feel really proud of it. And I think oftentimes, you know, there's a sense in which people think that, uh, you know, barrister, being a barrister has a certain glamour. You know, you see that in certain television depictions of it. But in truth, it's full of clunk and dirt and ropey cafeterias and all of that. Thing. Now, it's glamour at the Old Bailey and there's an element of that in this story, to be sure. But most of the time, people get up every day and they're dealing with the absolute buffet of human detritus, emotionally complex work, and sometimes really horrifying things as well that they take home. They get up every day to go and do it because they believe that at the heart of what we do isn't just justice, but it means that if they don't do it, we lose something absolutely essential at the heart of our democratic society, freedom, right? And Rob, I know I'll forget to ask you, so I'm going to ask you now. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Botox as the murder weapon. It, has that <laughs> ever happened? Has anyone ever been poisoned no. with Botox? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, Agatha Christie was a sort of obsession, like an apothecary of uh, knowledge uh, when it came to poisons. Um, and I am aware that it can kill you in massive doses, but... Um, 
you know, some of the people that you may or may not have met, I suspect you have, that have, um, well, I know yes. a few of them. And now they're still, they're still alive, so it must be. They're still alive, so it's like, no, you'd need to, ing- <laughs> you'd need to ingest quite a lot, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, quite a few women I know would be, yeah, long gone. And, and men, know. Rob, and men. And men, oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't it, though? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you've painted a picture of the, of the chambers and you, you go, you kind of, you paint it all and we know that you were there. So you were mm. working as a barrister. When yeah. did kind of the frivolous world of television and how did it come to call? Mm. Well, it's not all frivolous, is it, love? Um you know, um, well, 2014, like you said, so coming up for a decade, I was doing um, international law, um, and which is just criminal law in different countries, really. Um, and you know, I was sort of thirsty for that sort of work. And I think it's true to say, you know, when, from that Greek phrase, you know, when uh, the gods want to laugh, they give you what you wish for. So I was doing this important case on a desert island somewhere and was kind of bored on the weekends, wrote a script, went to flog it to somebody alongside this production company and um, the woman said oh god that's terrible and then the long and short of it is um, she said well can you arbitrate disputes I said yeah and the next thing with no um there was nothing I mean we didn't do any pilot or anything of that kind she put it on telly that was it and I left uh, some time later some very important case uh, in Jersey to arrive in Manchester with Judge Rinder um you know and from there all of this luck yes. know, just happened to hit at the right moment and then you get, you know, opportunity and after opportunity. And for me, it's been the greatest sort of gift and the overused words, but I care about it. It's sort of privilege in the world to have this platform, this light, let's say, to do other work. And in addition to Judge Rinder, you know, from then, you know, be at work about learning about genocide, the Holocaust, Israel, Palestine. All of that um, has been because of this show. Um, and, you know, it's sort of given me this limitless gift. It's such a delight. And did you try and keep the two careers going for a while in tandem? Ish. I mean, I'm for a short while, yeah. But I still, I want to be clear, I'm still a member of Chambers and that really matters to me. I'm so proud of that. And part of the reason I think I didn't get eviscerated, let's say, by colleagues is because at the heart of Judge Rinder and the other work I do is, uh, you call it sort of serious, but actually, you know, it's really serious law. You know, some of the most important, important precedents um, in law and uh, civil law that we have in this country and uh, which where precedent previous cases really matter are about sort of fundamentally stupid things you know, the reason we can sue each other in this country without having a contract if you make something your duty of care and uh, you make something in a negligent fashion is because um, somebody poured a, a ginger beer bottle excuse me ginger beer out into somebody's glass in the 1930s and there was a snail in it and uh, that meandered its way to the, uh, well, to the Supreme Court, which was then the House of Lords. And Lord Adkins stood up and said, who is my neighbour? I mean, that's how important that judgment was. And it was about a ropey snail. Wow. So I really care. Right. I know. Right. So I really care about people, everybody understanding the law. It's ours. It's all of ours. Um, and that mattered to me. And it still does. And obviously, you still work in the you know in that world. You're kind of law adjacent. You are you you explain you explain to us. But do you do you kind of miss it? Do you miss the the day to day work of being a barrister? No, 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 no. I must emphasize. I don't miss. I don't miss um, getting up, um, working 150 hours. Sometimes I sleep uh, during the week, and, and and the reason I don't is because the people who do it, you know, have friends, great friends, and colleagues, and many now who are. Uh, KCs and doing the most sort of important work of the day, some of whom have gone on to the High Court. 
to do that work, any work actually, you know, especially where you know you're going to be under-resourced and underpaid, you have to have such a kind of uh, sense of calling, you know, a sense of real, real mission. I yeah. think it's, it's a vocation. And as soon as you lose the passion for that, you think about everything you do, it doesn't need to be perfect every day, but you know, in a month's time, you're going to still believe in it. And if you don't, a bit like I know, increments of emotional money, let's say, you go bankrupt fairly quickly. And much as I love doing the work and I still enjoy teaching and supporting legal organizations to do what I can to assist them, Unless you have that drive and, you know, you continue to believe in it, you end up pretty depleted fairly quickly, as I did. So I'm not sure I could go into jury trials anymore. Not to mention the fact that given the nature of the decisions I was making as a lawyer, you can imagine a big international tribunal saying, well, whose decision was it not to serve up this very important chunk of evidence? And uh, counsel for the other side saying to the high court judge, uh, my lord or my lady, um, I'm afraid I would tell you who that was, but he's off doing the cha-cha. You know, <laughs> well, now you get to live it all again uh, through right. Adam, Adam Green, your barrister yeah. in training in The Trial. The Trial Thank is you. the new novel by Rob Rinder. It's out now in Harback. Thank you so much for talking to us, Rob. Thank you, uh, love. And go enjoy your pride. Take care. Uh, you too. Bye. Bye. bye, 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 bye. Stay put. We've got a barbecue on the way. Show chef Martha is live from Ickenham telling us how to make some Korean-style mushroom and tofu kebabs. <gasps> and tear and share hedgehog-style garlic bread. So where are you? Well, we have yet we've wheeled up the trolley and rolled it all the way down the M25 and we are in Ickenham. Wherever the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> west. I'm going to go west of London, but the family can can confirm. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, uh, west of London. That is yes. where we are. I'm, I'm glad the family know where they are. <laughs> they <know. laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, we head east to go to London. Uh, so who are the family, Martha? Who, who are we going to meet? Who, who are you feeding? Oh, they are so wonderful. We have got Amy and John, and we're in their lovely house with their two wonderful children. We've got Grace and we've got William, and it's a birthday weekend, so there's balloons, there's two parties planned. It's all a go, but we're really grateful that they've had us in their home to hopefully cook them a lunch that will help fuel their activities for the rest of the weekend. Oh, okay. Uh, so, hello to uh, Amy and John. Hello. Hi, it's John here. Hi, Graham. Hi, John. So, who's having birthdays? Uh, it's my daughter's birthday. Uh, she's eight. Um, she's oh. having some friends over tomorrow to do some tie-dye and craft and all that kind of things. And cake, obviously. Yes. Uh, but I, were there two birthdays? It was just one birthday, not two birthdays, for oh, some reason. Uh, one birthday, and it is my son's leavers party because he is going on to secondary school in September. So they've got a big hall full of balloons and uh, associated mayhem, I think. So this is a big weekend for everybody. Uh, in addition, Martha Collison's in your house cooking up a storm. Uh, how fabulous. Very, very good. And uh, now, weirdly, I feel like I've been in your house because uh, I, I've had a sort of good nose around uh, because your house is is known. Uh, that's right. So we had um, Kinder Crow's uh, video um, shot in this house. Um, gosh, I think it was probably back in Christmas. Um, which then turned out to be quite a big hit, wasn't it? So, yeah. yes, all the internal is all inside this house. We had Kian was here in our front room playing guitar and there was two small boys running in the hat around the house, one of which was playing little Kian because it it's about them when they were younger and his brother and they're all playing um, hide and seek around our house. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, uh, quite chaotic. There was like, you know, like 30 do, people. I mean, yeah, do you it, know? It was good. Do you know Key and Crow, or did they find your house online, or what happened? 
Yeah, well, we're kind of with an agency that uh, occasionally hires us out for like shoots and stuff. So we've had a couple of videos here. We had somebody called Nivala. We had a, a girl from Tennessee here uh, um, back in March. But Kim was the um, probably the the big name so far. Yeah, lovely. And how much of the decor that we see in the video is your decor? Uh, yeah, that's that's all us. I think the external. I think they shot that somewhere else. But yeah, all inside. That's that's our house. Uh, the wallpaper is all ours. Lovely. I like uh, dipped dipped pine uh, doors. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, the house is Edwardian, so everything's quite old in here. So um, yes, it's all a, bit, a place of character. It's beautiful. Uh, what are you cooking for us today? Or not for us, for them? Oh, yes, we had a lovely little sing-along to that song. It was a really nice little moment. Um, but anyway, on to the food. Today, we are having Korean-style mushroom and tofu kebabs and a side of wild garlic hedgehog tear and share bread. Wow. Uh, so now, and are you cooking this all on the barbecue? We are doing the kebabs on the barbecue and then we're doing a dessert tomorrow on the barbecue as well. So it's a barbecue weekend. It's also we're doing a vegetarian meal because I think veggies often get left out with the barbecue, don't they? People put on everything, they do all the nice meats and then they just chuck on a few vegetarian sausages. But we thought, no, we'll make this the focus. We'll make this the start and do these lovely... They've got mushrooms, smoked tofu, tender stem broccoli, covered in lovely kind of sticky, tangy glaze, and they make it they make it special for the vegetarians. No, I'm very impressed because when I married a vegan, I literally threw the barbecue away. <laughs> you thought there's no point. <laughs> I need never, doing? I need never look at that again. <laughs> I saw I saw it as one of the advantages of being with a vegan, but um, it's very good. No barbecue, uh, but uh, and are are Amy and John and the kids are they vegetarian or have you just decided? for today they are eating veggies they are not vegetarian but they are going to be open to it today they're going to try it see what they think they Who live knows? west of London they live west of London <laughs> they yeah. do like tofu I've heard that even the kids like the tofu so we're hoping this will be a hit with the whole family okay is it all ready to go it is ready to go it's on the table everyone's looking hungrily at it uh, right who am I talking to is it Amy You've got Amy on the line. Hello. Hello, Amy. Lovely to talk to you. Uh, and congratulations on winning the subject prize. Martha, cooking up a storm in your house. Um, what are what have you just eaten? Well, we just had a grilled smoked tofu with a tender um, um, kebab. And then it, it's charred on the barbecue with a sticky Korean um, glaze over it. And we just had... I think my husband called the best garlic bread ever. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wait. <laughs> Way to rubbish your garlic bread. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there'll be there'll be words afterwards. Uh, so now you're not a vegetarian, but what did you make of? Did you like it? The mushroom and tofu kebab. Oh, it's amazing. The um, the glaze is really sweet and tangy. The smoked tofu really, the flavour really come out on the barbecue. Oh, it's all really good. The uh, bread was warmed up in the oven and then have melted cheese inside with wild garlic, so it's really flavoursome. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. Absolutely. And uh, did everyone like it? Did William and Grace enjoy it as well? Um, William? Uh, oh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, very good. And uh, birthday girl Grace, did you have a nice time? Yeah, it was yummy. Yeah, but you're hoping for birthday cake tomorrow. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th thank you very much for your mushroom and tofu, tofu kebab. Uh, so, Martha, if people are sitting... Because I must say, Amy really sold that. It sounded delicious. Uh, so, uh, how do we make it? 
She did. We'll come here again. Yeah. <laughs> she sold that so well. No. Um, so we are taking some large flat mushrooms, some smoked tofu. You can get this in the kind of chilled section at Waitrose and it's got so much flavour. If you've tried tofu before but you haven't been a fan, smoked tofu is a really good shout to grow a love of it and then we've got tender stem broccoli we're taking two skewers and we are threading it onto both and this is quite good because it gives it a bit more stability when you're putting it on the barbecue because it mm. holds both together yes. so we're skewering everything twice till you've got all those ingredients on your skewers then we are mixing up a lovely glaze now the base of this glaze is gochujang which is a kind of smoked um sorry a fermented brown rice and red pepper paste and it's got so much flavor so we're mixing that with a little bit of ketchup some garlic some soy sauce bit of maple syrup and then we take it all out to the barbecue and the weather has held out for us there was a moment about half an hour ago where we thought we'd be barbecuing in the rain (laughs) under an umbrella but thankfully the sun has come out you want to get your kebabs on the barbecue and then we're brushing them with that glaze every couple of minutes or so as we turn them and they start to develop a lovely little char takes about 10 minutes start to finish on the barbecue so really nice and quick and a lovely option for vegetarians and and indeed vegans it's it's right all the way isn't it yeah it is it is yeah. indeed vegan and you didn't feel like you wanted to parboil the the broccoli that cooks on the barbecue fine it cooks on the barbecue fine yeah because it's the tender stem kind the it's not very thick and you can choose ones that should barbecue well in the time and then we're serving it with a little bit of kind of um sticky rice and then the recipe serves it with kimchi but we have not just got any regular kimchi in this house no we have amy's homemade kimchi (laughs) so we've pushed the waitress one to the side we've got this lovely delicious homemade one that amy's got in a jar in her fridge wow i'm so impressed amy because kimchi you have to feed it and stuff don't you it it takes a while yeah it have been uh in the fridge since Christmas. So it's nice, slightly, you know, it's really good fermented and uh, it's got the right sour note on it. It's brilliant. Gorgeous. And very quickly, Martha, how do we make the bread? So the bread, super easy. You're taking a round loaf of bread and if it's gone a bit stale, don't worry because this is a perfect way to refresh it. We're taking a bread knife, cutting strips all the way across, then all the way the other way so it kind of looks a little bit like a hedgehog. Then we're mixing together butter, mozzarella, wild garlic, which is a waitress cook's ingredients, one in the freezer section. So you just chuck a little bit of that in. Then we're spreading that in between the little bits. It goes wrapped in tin foil into the oven for 25 minutes for the cheese to melt and the bread to become lovely and gooey and then you can just pull off little chunks at the table gorgeous if you want full recipes you go to waitrose.com slash show chef and you can find all the recipes there pictures available on our socials at virgin radio uk uh, take care Iknum, and we will check in tomorrow when we barbecue a dessert thank you so much lovely to meet you all take care now Bye. Finish Bye. your kebabs. Bye. 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 Oh, there they all are. It's like Goldilocks and two bears. That's us for now. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. And make sure you're up to date with all of our goings on at Virgin Radio UK on all of our socials. I'll be chatting to you very soon. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.